Okay, everyone, welcome back. Hope you are all doing well. Uh, I'm Matt, I'm one of the leaders here at Liberty Church. Uh, we've been working through uh, a series through the Apostles' Creed, which we finished last week. So this week, we're gonna be teaching through a new series from now through to the rest of the summer, probably into the autumn, uh, through uh, the book in the Bible of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, what we're gonna do now is uh, Yako is gonna read uh, the first of two scripture readings to us today, and this will be from Acts chapter 17. So if you have a Bible with you on your phone, maybe you wanna turn there now, and Yako is gonna read it to us. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from scriptures, explaining and providing that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus who I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob that set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And they could not find them. They dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money and security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Okay, welcome back everyone. Um, thanks to Yako for reading those verses to us. You might be a little bit surprised because I said earlier that we were gonna be in a series on in 1 Thessalonians, and Yako just read from Acts 17. That will all become very obvious to you in a moment or two. Uh, and in some parts of the world today, it's very hard to be a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian. That you would, some parts of the world, if you were to tell your family that you'd become a follower of Jesus, then they would throw you out of the house and would promise to never see you again. Some parts of the world it's illegal to gather together and worship on a Sunday. It's not just an issue because of corona quarantines, but would be something you just wouldn't be allowed to do ever to gather as a body of believers to pray. Many churches exist underground, hiding away, not being able to reveal to the world their true identity. Many people will suffer persecution Many of us in our, in our city even will suffer all sorts of different persecutions and judgments from people. We might be looked down upon. We might find even verbal abuse and other things happen because of what we believe as followers of Jesus. And when we read the story of the early church uh, in the New Testament in the Bible, we find a church that exists a bit like lots of churches in the world do today, underground trying to make the name of Jesus famous in their cities, but at the same time having to deal with persecution and oppression. 
wanting to stand up for what they believed in, but facing sometimes, as Yaka read in that story, the fear of being dragged before the city authorities of riots and all sorts of mobs and arguments kicking off. And in the book of Acts, we read the story of after Jesus' death and resurrection, we meet this character called Saul, who, when we first meet him, he's kind of the villain of the story. He's persecuting the believers. He's involved in stoning Stephen. He's involved in seeing other believers imprisoned. And yet this dramatic conversion takes place, so dramatic that his name is changed from Saul to Paul, and he goes from being the chief baddie in the story, the villain, the chief culprit, to becoming the kind of the main evangelist. And he does that by planting churches. He travels all around the, uh, the Mediterranean, going from city to city, planting churches. That's the mission, we, the model we see in the Bible of biblical mission, planting churches, gathering together new communities of believers to worship God. And he traveled not just from city to city, but he followed the Roman roads and he went to strategic cities one by one, cities that would have an influence in the world around them, cities like Rome, cities like Antioch, cities like Athens, and cities like Thessalonica, where Paul is writing this letter to, which would have been one of the main cities in what was then known as Macedonia. And what happens when Paul arrives in Thessalonica is Paul and Silas, they go and preach in the synagogue. Some Jews are converted, some Greeks, some of the leading women in the city become followers of Jesus. And a mob is formed, an angry mob. They grab Jason, who'd been hosting Paul and Silas, and some of the other brothers. They drag them before the city authorities. And they accuse them. They say, these men who have turned the world upside down because they proclaimed another king, Jesus. Jason has to pay a bond for their release. Paul and Silas have to escape. A, a friend of mine was telling me a story recently. He's involved in planting churches in the Middle East. He told me a story of a friend of his who, what he does is he creates videos and content to use on social media to explain the gospel in lots of different languages, but mainly in, in Arabic. And he produced these videos and he put them somewhere on social media. And a lady in a city somewhere in the Middle East found these videos, started watching them, started reading her Bible, and became radically converted, decided to give her life to Jesus. She then started to gather some of her friends and a whole group of women, just like in Thessalonica, a whole group of women end up becoming followers of Jesus just in this city in the Middle East somewhere. This is a story that's happened. He told me this at the start of this year, so it happened probably last year, I think it was. A little group of believers, they get in touch with our friend. A church plant is formed with this group of women. And one thing they don't have is they don't have any men in their church. It's just a group of women who is growing more and more each day as they invite more friends to come and watch these videos and to read their Bibles together and to worship God together. And they're praying for a guy to get saved. And wonderfully that happens. A friend of theirs who's a man becomes a follower of Jesus himself. And he goes and tells his family and his friends, which in their city would be a brave thing to do. And then the very next day, 
a group of people come and take him away and he's murdered, he's martyred because he declared a profession of faith because he said, I wanna follow Jesus. And that's a story that happened last year but could be a story right out of this book, right out of the book of Acts. And you see, the, the gospel that we believe in, the message of Jesus Christ is explosive. It's powerful. It turns the world upside down. And that's what Paul was doing. He was traveling from city to city, wanting to plant churches that were packed with city culture-shaping potential. Cities, uh, uh, churches that would turn their cities upside down with the good news of who Jesus is. And we're faced, we talk about it a lot here at Liberty Church, we're faced with a challenge in our city. Do we build a church that just retreats away to the fringes of the city, just holds on to what we believe but doesn't let anyone else in because we're scared of the world around us? Do we form just a nice commune retreat away? Or do we say, we're just gonna be relevant to the city, we'll abandon what we believe, we'll just echo and be a parrot to everything that the city is saying because we're scared of standing up for what we believe. Or will we say, no, we're gonna be resilient. We're gonna hold on to what we believe the Bible teaches. We're gonna pursue a life-giving relationship with Jesus together as a community of believers in this city. We're gonna be resilient. That's the sort of churches that Paul was starting. That's the sort of church we find in Thessalonica. Churches that turn the world upside down. And that will look different here than how it will look for our friends in the Middle East or in other parts of the world where they might face imminent threat, danger because of what they believe. And we must pray for believers like that. But to follow Jesus even here, I'd encourage you to throw yourself into an adventure. That's what it is to be part of God's church, is to throw yourself into an adventure that will, has the potential to turn your life upside down. We're gonna uh, read a few verses now from, we're gonna get into 1 Thessalonians and Chantelle is gonna read the first three verses of 1 Thessalonians to us. Over to you, Chantelle. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, welcome back everyone. So a question that I want us to look at today is what does a church that turns the world upside down, what does it look like? Or what, do they, what should a church do? How should it practice its faith? And we get a bit of a clue here in this passage in 1 Thessalonians because what I think a church does that seeks to live a, a radical life of following Jesus together is that it deploys what John Calvin called a brief definition of true Christianity, that is faith, hope, and love. 
a brief definition of true Christianity is to have faith, hope, and love. As Paul maps out in, this, in these verses here to us at the start of 1 Thessalonians. And as we go through this book, we're going to find those themes unpacked for us a lot more. We're going to discover more of what it means to be a community of faith, hope, and love. But we're going to look at a little today about how do we practice these? What do they look like in the wild? Because it's easy for these powerful statements to become overused, to become a bit bland, to be kind of overly perhaps romanticized. Often at weddings, people will read uh, 1 Corinthians 13. They'll say, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And it can sound very floral and romantic and lovely. And it is, but it's also very real, life-changing. It can be a, a, a hard thing sometimes to live these things out. And first of all, what I want to say is that faith, hope, and love, this true Christianity, is, it's a dynamic thing. It's dynamic. Christianity is these words, faith, hope, and love, they're, they're active, they're outgoing, and they're productive. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, as we get to the end of this letter in a couple of months, it says, put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. See, faith, love, and hope there are used as kind of a battle language in like a military sense. That to be a believer of Jesus, you're called into an, an active fight. We're called to fight the good fight of faith. We're called into a battle. We're called into a war. And we need to, to suit up, to put our armor on, to put on our breastplate, our helmet to protect us. Christianity is an active thing. It's also an outgoing thing. It says in Colossians 1, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. See, we have faith toward God, love toward others, and a hope towards the future. Our faith is an outgoing. It's pointed outside of us. It's also a productive thing. We read here in this passage, it says faith works. Love labors. Hope endures. The gospel is dynamic. To be a Christian is to be in the vine. You will bear fruit if you're a believer in Jesus. That's true faith, true Christianity, true belief in Jesus will bear fruit in your life. Because there is a kind of a bogus pretend Christianity where we perhaps intellectually we agree with a few things we read in the Bible. We might say that we're a Christian, but without any genuine personal relationship with Jesus, we won't bear any fruit. To be a Christian is to have God come and fill you, for his presence to come and flood you and overwhelm you and change you. I don't mean to say that you suddenly become perfect, but little by little, God will work out fruit in your life. See, true Christianity is dynamic. It's also very real. It's very real. Well, it sounds obvious, but sometimes we can treat 
Christianity is a kind of a mystical belief. There's a kind of fairy tale faith. There's, or perhaps like a, a spiritual compartment in your life. You have your work life, your home life, things you do for pleasure, and you have your sort of spiritual life over here in a box. But yet, to be a follower of Jesus will affect everything in your life. It will affect all the day-to-day, nitty-gritty moments of your life. See, the gospel, Jesus changes everything. And when Jesus comes into your life, he will turn your world upside down. He'll change you from the inside out. And again, that won't be a moment thing. Sometimes God moves in us in moments where we suddenly kind of shift forward a few paces We shift into a higher gear. But most of the time, God works in us little by little, a movement that works through our lives. See, what faith does is it works. To be a Christian isn't to have a a kind of faith that's like a museum piece, like an ancient artifact, but faith is, is busy. It gets its hands dirty. And we can sometimes get into a bit of an intellectual Christianity where we talk a lot about faith. We read books about faith. We sing about it, but we forget sometimes to actually do it. And I I don't, what I'm not encouraging you is saying, hey, everyone come and join a serving team because, I mean, right now we don't need an awful lot of help. We will do perhaps in a few months. And I'm not saying, hey, come and be a pastor. To be a real Christian is to be a pastor. I'm not saying that at all because that's not true. I'm encouraging you to do is to let's love and serve the world around us. Let our faith get its hands dirty in our city. Let's seek to see Jesus become famous in our city, whatever the cost. And maybe a question for you to ask is, who has God called you to here? As Christians, we often get caught up in our, in our calling. God's calling to be a preacher, to be a worship leader, Those things are wonderful. But for most of us, most of the time, what God's called us to is to serve the people he sent us to. Who has God sent you to? Who are your neighbours? Who do you sit next to at work? Who's the barista you buy coffee from every week? Who do you see every day on the tram? These are people that God's put in your life for us to love and serve and see his name famous, become famous in our city. Faith works and love labours. Love works as well. It labours. There's a, there's a troublesome toil to love because I've seen labour. I've got four kids. I've seen that whole process of Joe, what a hero, giving birth and it's messy and it's painful. I was watching a, a soap opera this week, a Dutch soap opera because I'm trying to learn a bit more Dutch and they did the classic thing in the story where, where a, a woman's water breaks. Have you ever seen that on TV where a woman's water breaks as she's going into labor? And it's like, oh no, there's a puddle on the floor. Uh, my water has broken. And then they all laugh about it and they get in a taxi and go to the hospital. I can assure you it doesn't happen like that. Okay, it's messy and it's painful and I should stop talking about it. But the thing is that's an illustration of often what love is like. We can think of love as a sentimental thing or we can think of it as kind of random acts of kindness or we can think of it as like 
empathy, which is they're all good things, but love is hardworking. Love is perseverant. Love goes into the places that no one else wants to go. Love goes deep into relationships. Love forgives. Love sometimes gets hurt. Love's messy. Love is difficult. Just because to, to some, often we talk about love in a very empathetic sense. We talk about empathy, and that's an important skill to have. But actually all empathy does is say, oh, I, I can feel what you're feeling. I can empathize with how you're feeling. Whereas actually true love goes much deeper. It doesn't just say, oh, I can, I can relate to you. True love goes and stands with people. It walks side by side with people through the most painful seasons of their life. It says, you know, I might not be able to fix this for you, but I'm going to be here. I'm going to walk with you through this season. And when you're horrible to me, when you don't want to pick up the phone, when you, you don't want to WhatsApp me, I'm going to keep loving you. I'm going to keep standing with you. You know, if you've, if you've married, you know that love isn't easy. But actually, in the church, God calls us to, to not just one covenantal relationship, as in a, a covenant of love that you make when you become married, but lots of relationships like that, where we love the people all around us in our church community. We love them wholeheartedly, no matter what. We love the people that God's put in our lives who aren't part of the church. We love them as Jesus loves us. See, because that's the love that's illustrated here, an agape love, a love that gives, just like Jesus' love for us. Finally, hope is steadfast here. And there's two ideas about this steadfastness of hope. First of all, it's a hope that looks forward, looks into the future and then keeps on going towards there. But it's also a hope that looks into the future but remains firm and solid in the here and now. It endures, it holds fast, it stays and we need this sort of love right now. A love that is a steadfast, non-anxious presence in a city all around us full of fear and worry and doubt and concern and because and people are looking into the future and they don't know what happens. As we look into the future and we have hope because we know what Jesus has done for us, what he will one day come back to do we have a wonderful hope in him and we can hold fast because of that and these things are the faith that works love that labors hope that is steadfast these are earthy they're day-to-day -day issues so why don't you ask yourself that question where where do you need to labor in love what relationships around you are, are just a, a feel a bit like labor at the moment they're messy, they're painful, they're hard work. Where is it that you need to put your faith into action? Where is it that you need to be steadfastly hopeful this week? See, because everything we've outlined, none of this is automatic, particularly in times of trial and suffering. Our belief our, 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 to be a follower of Jesus needs a source. 
It's difficult to have a faith that works, a love that labors, a hope that is steadfast. That's not easy, but we have a source. Paul has already outlined for us here in this passage. He said that it is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's writing to the church in Thessalonica who, if you go back to remember the story in Acts 17, this is, a, this is a, an infant church. There's nothing impressive about them. This is a church that a few people got saved and then Jason, who's hosting them in their home, which suggests it really wasn't a very big church, is dragged before the authorities. Paul and Silas, who started the church, have to escape. Jason has to pay this bond to release. This, this is a church in, in, in a mess. <laughs> you know, it might have been an exciting mess with lots of new believers in Jesus, but this, is, this is, doesn't sound particularly healthy in many ways. And yet Paul writes to them and he calls them a, a church. I don't know if we would call them a church. I don't know if we'd say maybe it's the beginnings of a church plant, perhaps. But Paul says, no, you're a church because you're in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What is a, an infant, just a baby in the natural, just you know, in intensive care, fighting for life, in the supernatural is powerful because of Jesus and that might sum up how you feel at the moment. In this season, you felt crippled, felt a bit cooped up, laid out, muted, faded, yet in Christ, you are fully alive today. See, our strength is not in our fruits. Although it's important that we have fruit, that's not where our strength lies. They're just evidence of the grace and peace that God's already given to us. We have this undeserved favor of God, his grace. We have a peace that's more than just a lack of conflict. We have harmony, reconciliation with him. And your superpower in this season, for us as a church, even though we can't meet and, and it feels like, oh, where is everybody gone? How is this all gonna work? Our superpower in this season is not anything you can sum up from within yourself, is that we have a king another king, Jesus, who's come for us. And today, come to Jesus. Maybe you've listened to what I've said about faith, hope, and love, and you feel inspired, ready to go. Maybe you feel daunted, you don't know where to start. Maybe you feel guilty, I really hope you don't, but maybe you do. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and say, I need you. I need your power, your strength. And the best way to do that is for us to worship God together and Sasha and the band are going to lead us now.